This message was recorded live at Plantation Seventh-day Adventist Church in Plantation, Florida. Welcome to PlantationSDA.tv. Here you will find a diverse variety of Bible-based topics and conversations. God's master plan to inspire your mind, bring peace to your heart, and uplift your soul. May you be blessed and encouraged as you listen to God's Word. Happy Sabbath, everyone. I said it the first sermon. I'll say it here again. It is a pleasure to be here with you guys again. Second sermon I preach here. And before we get into it, we'll start with a word of prayer. Jesus, thank you so much because I have the opportunity to preach your word to them now. And all that I ask is that you take away anything human in me and leave only what is spiritual. Send the spirit that you gave to Peter on that day and set these people's hearts on on fire. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, everybody, if you listen very closely, you can hear the the men crying without their wives. For those of you that don't know, uh, the women are away on a spiritual retreat, a retreat from their husbands. And uh, well, we just, uh, all day I've been having to comfort people, seeing them in the corners, it's okay, she'll be back, I promise. It's, it's been a very sad day, but <laughs> we're here. Today, The sermon is entitled, Small Groups, Big Impact. Small Groups, Big Impact. Small Groups, Big Impact. Why? In case you didn't get it from the title of the sermon, we're talking about small groups. And today, I want to dive into the Bible, and I want to discover what it is the Bible says about small groups, because I believe... I believe that small groups are not just a good thing to do, they are an essential thing to do. They are an essential part of our Christian walk, and hopefully you'll see that with me today as we get into it. But I think, I I found a quote this week that I think encapsulates what the essence of small group is. It's an African proverb, and it says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. It encapsulates the essence of not just small groups, but also of Christianity. Because Christianity is about togetherness. If you really sit and think about it, Christianity, the whole of it, the whole of our faith, is about togetherness. Not just with each other, but with God. Did Jesus not die so that we can be together with him in heaven? Everything in Christianity is about togetherness, and we are expected to reflect that in our daily lives. And so as we get into it, we're going we're gonna to cover three aspects of small groups. Three aspects of small groups. The first one is community. Everybody say Community. The next one, 
is accountability. And the last one, discipleship. These are the three pillars of a small group. This is what a small group can provide for this church that we actually can't always get to in this wonderful meeting that we have. And we're going to see what the Bible has to say about that. I was looking up some statistics. According to a Barna Group study, 31% of U.S. adults, that's you guys and me, 31% of U.S. adults feel lonely. They're alone. 31% of U.S. adults. That number does not change very much even in a church setting. So you could reasonably assume that at least 30% of the people here are feeling lonely. If you think about it, that's a pretty big number of people. I mean, we're a big church. 30% of us are feeling lonely, 30%. The, the study has a very interesting definition for loneliness, which I'm gonna share with you now. So if you, if you guys are, are, uh, are kind of doubtful of like whether you feel lonely or not, here, listen to this definition, see if you can relate to it or have related to it. In this academic research, loneliness is the distress someone feels when their social connections don't meet their needs for emotional intimacy. That's a very important definition, that one. Because when we think of someone who's lonely, we tend to think of someone who has no one to sit with. Maybe they go home and they got no one to eat with. Maybe they're sitting in a pew all by themselves. And we think, oh man, that guy's lonely. But according to this definition, loneliness is further than that. Because you can be surrounded by people and feel completely alone. Has anyone ever felt that way? I know I have. I know I have for sure. You can be completely surrounded by people and feel 100% alone because those people that you're surrounded by, you're not connected to emotionally. And human beings need authentic connection, authentic connection. Our society is a lonely society. We were just talking about it in Merge. Um, it wasn't planned. I didn't like coordinate with a guy what I was going to preach today, but it just happened to be perfect. That we live in a lonely society. The, the American system is an individualistic culture. People are expected to stand for themselves. If you open up to people in your work or something, you say, I'm feeling lonely, I'm feeling depressed. People don't like that. <laughs> it's like, oh, TMI, man, like, keep it to yourself, you know? Be, be sad in silence like the rest of us. That's the culture that we live in, man. That's true. It's just, that's the way that we live in. And I've experienced this myself when I was studying at Andrews. I had a friend. I have a friend. And uh, it just so happens that our times in Andrews coincided. And he and I, man, we, we've been friends our whole lives. And he and I have had a similar experience in that depression has been something that we've struggled with before. Right? Uh, full vulnerability. That's something that I've struggled with. Something that he's struggled with, too. And so in Andrews, it was nice to have each other. We were able to hold each other up. And one day, we're at a potluck. I used to live in my cousin's house. My cousin had an enormous house. 
And he used to invite people every Saturday for potluck. And potluck was like just huge, man. Like everybody, people I didn't even know, man, they just walking into the potluck. And I'm sitting, I'm standing there one day with him, and I notice that he looks a little off. I'm like, hey, man, like, what's going on with you? You seem a little down. He says, Kevin, I'm surrounded by people, but I feel completely invisible. And I doubt he's the only one who's ever felt that way. I really doubt that he's the only one who's ever felt that way. That's the first reason why life groups are so important. And we see this biblically. So for those of you who have your Bibles, if you want to follow me to the book of Acts, okay? The book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. That's what we're going to read. And it says, if you don't have a Bible, you can read up along with me. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching when here, when they, the they are the early church, okay? These are the first Christians ever, all right? Peter has the Holy Spirit to descend on him. He converts like 3,000. The church starts officially. So they are the first church. The first church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to what? Fellowship. To the breaking of bread and to prayer. Four things they did, guys. Four things. The first one was what? Devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. The doctrine is important. It is important. We got to serve the right God here, okay? We got to know what we're doing. But what's number two? Fellowship. Fellowship. And it doesn't say that they engaged in fellowship. What does it say? They devoted themselves to fellowship. Devoted themselves to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Guys, as Adventists, we are really good at prayer. We just had like a top-notch prayer, right? We did. Like that. It was crazy. We are amazing, like probably Olympic gold medalist at doctrine. We have fantastic doctrine. The Hebrew, the Greek, I know I've spent time doing it. Too much time, if you ask me. All right? The doctrine is impeccable, crazy, phenomenal. But just about anybody can outfellowship an Adventist. Yeah, it's just the reality. I'm going to tell you the truth. Just about anybody can outfellowship an Adventist. But it's not, it's not how the church started. The, the church was founded in a time where everybody was Christian, where the only thing that distinguished us was our doctrine. And so it's logical that we spend so much time on our doctrine. That's fine. But we live in a different time now. We live in a time where people have access to information from all around the world within seconds. I'm speaking right now, and before I finish my sentence, you can go on Google and corroborate that everything I'm saying is true. That's, that's, those are the times we live in. We don't live in a time where everybody's Christian anymore. You can't walk down the street and assume that the person you're talking to is Christian. There's a reason people are saying happy or merry Xmas or whatever. You can't say Christmas anymore. Why? Because not everybody celebrates it. We live in a diverse time. We live in the same time that this early church started in. Did you know that this early church, when they started, the majority of people weren't Christian? They were pagans. 
They lived in a time that it was normal. This is a true fact found in the manuscripts of the time. It was normal for a Roman kid. Uh, I don't know if you call him kid or whatever, but I think when he turned 16, 16 or like, I think it was 16, it was customary for him to go to the bathhouse to sleep with prostitutes. That was like a coming of age sort of thing. That's the time that they lived in. They lived in a time where paganism was the majority thing, that the imperial cult was the standard. But they had a couple of things that made them stand out. This early church had a couple of things that made them stand out. The first thing was their doctrine. The second was their devotion to fellowship. The third was the breaking of bread. The fourth was prayer. And we move on to the next verse. It says, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together. All the believers were what? Together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together. Guys, what's that first word? Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their, where? Homes. And ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of who? All of the people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were saved. What was their evangelistic process like, guys? How many evangelistic series do you think they performed in a year? 365, yeah. That's not, that's not a bad number. Because their living was an evangelistic process. Every day they were together. I had the opportunity to go to Turkey. I talked about that last time. I've been to Ephesus. I've seen the homes of the Christians. I've seen where these people used to get together and break bread with each other. I've seen it with my own eyes. What would happen is that a member who had a nice house or a big house with enough space, because the houses then were smaller, so the ones that had a house with enough space to host people, they would host. And that's where people would meet. That's how the early church started. Guys, there was no church building. There was no Ephesian Seventh-day Adventist church. Okay? There was none of that. Yeah, we're going to go to Elder whatever's houses. That, that's what they did. That's all they had. But the Lord did what? The Lord added to their number daily. Because you cannot replace community. There is no event that you can go to that will fill you more spiritually than being part of a community. There is no sermon more powerful than a good relationship. There's just not. You cannot replace that. That is what the Lord has built us to do. They devoted themselves to this. This is something that we even see in the Bible. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but did you know that your relationship with others is a reflection of your relationship with God? 
That might sound strange to you. But if we go to the first book of John, John, or 1 John, chapter 4, 20, it says this, and this is very important. Listen to this. It says, whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. You think about the implications of that. How can we say that we love God when we can't afford time for the people around us who you can see? How can we love God who is invisible? This is what the Bible says. When we don't even care about the visible people. Our relationship with each other actually reflects on our relationship with God. That's the case. I'm not saying this. I'm not just coming up with this. This is in the Bible. You've read it yourself. That's why in Christianity, community is one of the pillars. Because when God died, when Jesus died on that cross for you and me, he saved us, and he brought us into a community. The moment you accepted Jesus Christ on your Savior, you went from lost to a community of saved people. Have you ever thought who's going to be in heaven? Do you think heaven is going to be a one-on-one? <laughs> you know, one-on-one Bible study with Jesus? No. We're all going to be in heaven. If you don't like the people around you now, <laughs> wait until eternity comes around. That's the situation we're in. That's what God has called us to do. Now, what's so great about Life Group? Why is it that Life Group can, can build this community? And that leads us to our second point. It's because in Life Group, we can find accountability. In Life Group, we can find accountability. What's valuable about accountability is that it requires you to be vulnerable. You can't have accountability if you're not vulnerable. You have to be honest with, about your mistakes. Hey, guys, I messed up this week. I did. I messed up this week. I, I did this thing or I did this other thing. And in Life Group, you can find people who will keep you accountable. And I'm going to touch on this point real quick. This accountability, it's not rubbing your nose in it. It's not rubbing your nose in it. We're not here to judge. We're here to help. With a life group, you know that no matter what mistake you've made, they will accept you. They are your family. They love you. And again, this is biblical. If you follow me to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. It says this about community. It says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up doing what? Meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. That's biblical. We are supposed to encourage one another. We're supposed to help each other. That's part of a life group. We're supposed to correct each other. We're supposed to say, 
What can we do to make the world a better place? How do we show the love of God to the world? That's what a life group is about, guys. It's about helping each other be better. Now, there's something interesting about this verse here that I want to touch on. It's that very last phrase, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Because in this moment, the author of Hebrews, some believe to be Paul, some believe to be anonymous. The author of Hebrews did something interesting. He connected the day of the Lord to us meeting together. Does anybody know what the day of the Lord is? The second coming of Christ. That's what it means, the day of the Lord, the second coming of Christ. The author connected the second coming of Christ to our community. That's important because what he's saying is the closer the day of the Lord is, the more important community is. That's an interesting statement. Why would that be the case? Why is it? that that would be the case. And in case you guys didn't notice, we're actually closer to the day of the Lord than Paul was. We're actually closer to the day of the Lord than the ancient Greeks were, than the Romans were. We're getting there. And the Bible's telling us that the closer we get there, the more we need each other. Why could that be? Because whatever battle we're fighting, we can't do it alone. That's the reality, we can't do it alone. That might be hard for some of us to hear because we're taught that we have to be independent, that we have to be tough, that there's nothing that can break us. But the reality is that we're human. We can't do it alone. We find our strength in the togetherness. The Bible says it in Ephesians 6, 12. I want to read that one too. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. It says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Guys, the battle we're facing is greater than you and I. We're not dealing with some big thug down the road, right? It would be easy if that was the case. We get a couple of friends and we get the job done, but that's not the case. Everyone here knows the state of the world. I mean, look at what's happening on the other side of the world. We all know. Israel and Palestine. We've seen the horrors that are happening in the world. And there is a dark force behind that. It's not just bad people being bad people. That's part of it. But there's a dark force behind that. We can't face these evils alone. One of the most basic strategies of war is divide and conquer. Because people are stronger together. And the Bible attests to this even before the New Testament. If you want to follow me to Ecclesiastes, follow me to Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. And it says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help him up. But pity anyone who fails and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. Guys, this is before they had weighted blankets and heated blankets, okay? You, need, you needed people. <laughs> but how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And a cord of three strands is not easily broken. This is Old Testament. 
Even the Old Testament writers understood the importance of community, the fact that we need each other. If you try to go face the world alone, you're going to get pieced up. That's the reality of the situation. God created community for a reason. He knows what we need. He tells us in the Bible what we need. And yet, why do we have so many Lone Ranger Christians? Right? You got so many Christians walking around like, like, what's his name, John Wayne? All on his own. We are called to confess our sins to one another. We are called to help one another. It says it in James chapter 5, verse 16. It tells us that we are called to confess our sins to one another. You're going to put the verse up there in a second. James chapter 5, verse 16. It says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The power of a righteous person, the prayer of a righteous person, is powerful and effective. When you go to a life group and you go with your sins, you go with your failures, these people are going to surround you. They're going to say, look, we're going to pray for you. We're going to help you. We're going to get past this. That's why one of the number one rules for like fitness is to have like a, an accountability partner when you go to a gym. It's because two people can motivate each other. You can call each other up and say, hey, man, we got to go. And when one is feeling bad, the other one picks them up and vice versa. And finally, the final benefit of the life group and probably the most important is the discipleship encountered in the life group. Discipleship, guys, is the number one priority for our church. I'm going to say it plainly right here. Discipleship is the number one priority of the church. It's not looking good in the suit. It's not having good music. It's not having a good sermon. It's not having a bunch of beautiful members. It's not having a nice building. It's not having an event that like all of Miami goes to. That's not what it's about. It's about discipleship. Everything we do is in service of discipleship, and that is biblical. We find this in the book of Matthew, chapter 28, 19 through 20. It's the Great Commission. Everybody knows this one. Therefore, go and make what? Disciples. That's the, it's the first thing. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We did it last week. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Guys, discipleship is our number one prerogative as a church. This is what we sacrifice things for. This is why we're standing here today. It is to make disciples. And I hate to break it to you. But disciples are not made right here. I can preach a beautiful sermon. The Lord can use me and I can say something powerful. And maybe you turn your life to Christ that day. Ideally, amen, right? From up here, I can motivate you to do the right things, to, to get involved. But a disciple is made only with time. To create a disciple, you need time. You need to do life together. Jesus, Jesus himself, our Lord and Savior, 
Did you know he only made 12? He only made 12, and one of them, <laughs> one of them backstabbed him. Did you ever think, stop to think, that Jesus was a small group leader? Jesus himself was a small group leader. And Jesus himself is an example of the power of a small group. Think of all the many people who were saved because of one good small group. But what did Jesus' relationship with his disciples look like? They ate together. They slept together. They got up together. They went everywhere together. They preached. They cried. They did everything together. That is what being a disciple maker is about. Investing in another person is what being a disciple maker is about. It's not about these mass baptisms. Those, I mean, those are wonderful. It's good. But to make a disciple, you need time. And small groups is where we find those times. I have a story for you. There was a preacher, and this guy was a Sunday preacher. And he noticed that every Sunday, more and more, of his youth would leave the church. They wouldn't come back. And so one Sunday, he decides, I'm going to follow these kids, see where they're going. So he follows them, and he finds them in the park. And they were all doing drugs at the park. And so he gets pretty annoyed with this. He's like, why are these kids leaving the church to go do drugs at the park? And he finds that there's a drug dealer that hangs out at the park. So the next day he goes and he talks to the drug dealer. He says, hey, man, listen up. You're, you're taking all these kids from me. You know, why, why is it that they, go to, they can't go to church, but they come here and they do drugs with you? The drug dealer said something really important. The drug dealer said, it's because you're only with them for one hour on Sunday. I'm with them every day. When they're playing in the park, I'm here. When they go to the movies, I'm here. I'm with them every single day peddling my stuff. You're only there one time. Guys, this is a very important phrase that I would like you guys to learn. You cannot choose to serve someone. You can only choose who you serve. In life, you will always serve someone. And as Christians, if we do not make disciples of people, the world will disciple them. In social media, through the movies, through the advertisements, through the cars, through all the pretty things that we see online, that's discipling. And if we don't step in and disciple people for the right reasons, we will lose them to another disciple maker who's not so good. This is our responsibility as Christians, directed to us by the Lord. It's not something that Pastor Kevin's just saying. This is our responsibility. We cannot create disciples meeting only here. We need to meet during the week. We need to live life together. We need to be able to rely on one another to call and say, hey, I need help. I failed. We need to be able to accept one another. We need to be able to break bread together, to go to each other's houses, to be a family, a community. And when we have that, there's no telling how powerful this church can be for our community. There is no limit. With 11 good men, 
with 11 good men, Jesus Christ brought the Roman Empire to its knees. A whole religion was founded. What can we do if everyone in this room was that faithful? What could we do? It was so important to him that Jesus' final prayer for us was for unity. Did you know that? Did you know that Jesus prayed for you, by the way? We pray to Jesus all the time. Did you know that he prayed for you? If you want to go to the book of John, book of John, the gospel of John, chapter 17, verses 20 through 23. This is the final prayer of Jesus' life. He's in Gethsemane. He knows he's about to die. He knows that they're coming for him, and he sends up one prayer to God. This was the latter half of that prayer. He says, my prayer is not for them alone, them being their, his disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Guys, that's you. You're sitting here today because you believed in Jesus Christ at some point, or maybe you're giving him a try. I don't know. But he prayed for you right there. So moving on with that. He said, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Our unity is how the world knows that he was sent by God. It is through our love for one another, our community, our bond, that the world will say, these guys have something special. They're not normal. Guys, we live in a society that is very individualistic. If we break that, we stand out. People will look and say, these people are different. They have something that I want. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. He repeats it again. For those of you that might not know, in the Bible, when something repeats, it's very important. Pay attention to that in them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete, he says it again, unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Guys, there's no denying. Community is our priority. We need to build this bond as a family. And today, we're starting with life groups. Today. This isn't something that I'm just saying. My very first sermon in this church, I asked you guys to think about God was, what God was calling you to do. I don't know if you remember that. And today I'm collecting on the bill. When you leave today, and probably up on the screen, they'll put it up, right up here on the connection desk. There's going to be a QR code, and there's going to be sheets of paper for those of you that don't like the QR code. There's no excuse, okay? And we're going to ask for three things. We're going to ask for those of you that just want to be part of a life group, okay? You just want to go to one and be a part of one. That's okay. You can do that. Then we're going to ask for people that are willing to open their homes. These are hosts. People who want to open their homes to, to host a life group. And finally, last but not least, and this one's important, we need life group leaders. We need people who are going to step up and lead. And this is going to require training. We have training coming. I think right now we're going to do it in, um, in February. This is a next year thing. 
But before that, we'll be meeting and we'll be discussing. We'll be having training because it's a serious thing. If you believe that God is calling you to be a life group leader, today is your chance. If you sign up, I'll be calling you in the week. We're going to be connecting. Today is the day that we start a new initiative in the church. Today. Today is when we start this community, guys. And I want to see you there. I want to be a family with you. I want us to be a family together. I want Miami to see that Plantation Church is a family. With that said, Lord, let's have a word of prayer. God, thank you so much for the wonderful gifts that you've given us. And now, Lord, I beg you to knock on the door of these people's hearts. There are people here that you have been touching, that you have been pricking to say, you need to be a life group leader. There are people that have the gift of teaching, that have the gift of leadership. And I ask that you just push them over the edge. Send the Holy Spirit to them, Lord. Empower them. Empower all the leaders that are going to come. Empower the life groups. Send your Holy Spirit to every single life group that meets in your name, Lord. Make us on fire for God. Make us shout for joy in your name, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm inviting us all to stand as we get together in one accord. And, you know, Pastor, he's made a call for us to build these small groups. So I'm proud to tell you that these youth are one of those small groups. They are a tight-knit group. And um, this week, I didn't know who was going to be singing with me up here. And I called on one of them, Lanaya, and she pulled together this tight-knit group. And man, praise God, this is what small groups do. They pull together. And so I'm just inviting you guys to sing with us. Hallelujah, salvation and glory. From Revelation 19, verse 1. And I could imagine that when we all get to heaven, this is what we'll be singing. Honor and glory be unto our God. Come on, let's sing it out. Say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Salvation and glory. Honor and power. Honor and power unto the Lord our God. For the Lord our God. Come on, say it. For the Lord our God is mighty. Yes, the Lord. Yes, the Lord our God is omnipotent. For the Lord our
sing the Lord our God. He is one. Come on, someone say, all praises be saved. Jesus Christ, sing that out. Come on, keep singing it also. Soprano, say. Come on, sing it out. All the sopranos join in and say. be doing that. Come here. Alright everyone, let's have a, just a final word of prayer. God, thank you so much for the wonderful worship, these amazing people who just put this amazing song together for you, God. I ask that you bless them now on their way, wherever they might go, and that you continue to knock on their hearts to do the right thing, Lord, to follow the path that you have set before them. Bless Plantation Church and bless the elders and bless everyone in charge. Give us the spiritual wisdom to guide it in the direction that you have that you have placed before it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. 
This podcast was brought to you by Plantation's Seven-Day Adventist Church, a Christ-centered congregation dedicated to spreading the good news of God's love through sermons, deeper dive conversations, and much more. If you would like to listen to more life lessons and inspirational content, please visit us at plantationsda.tv.